Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and my guest today is Helen Tomlinson. Helen is Head of Talent Development at the ADECO Group and earlier this year was appointed as the government's first ever menopause employment champion. As part of her voluntary role, Helen will focus on encouraging employers to develop menopause policies to create more supportive environments to help women experiencing menopause to stay and progress in work. Welcome to the podcast, Helen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, unusually for, for a podcast guest, I did actually get to meet you in person before recording, which was lovely. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute uh, as to sort of where we ended up in the same place. But tell us, how did you come to be involved in working in the sort of the menopause space in, initially? Well, it was, I suppose it was when I took this role that I'm currently doing. So I moved from my whole career as being in um recruitment, uh, talent, um, employability. So always working to help people develop their um, career or um, you know move move along in society, etc. And um, so I took this job in 2021 and it was my first move into sort of um, an enabling function, as we call them, working in the talent and development um, space. And it's now broadened out to include inclusion as well for the reason that I'm really going to tell you about now. <laughs> so when I took over the role, the lady that was doing the, the role before me forwarded all her uh, diary invites. And one of them was to the gender forum meeting. I had no idea what that was. I'd come from operations. I didn't really, I hadn't really had any involvement in it. And so I joined the first one and they were saying, oh, we're coming up to World Menopause Day. We need to think about, you know, menopause in the workplace and who's going to lead on that and I kind of looked around the virtual room and I thought <laughs> no, nobody else who could probably add the lived experience having gone through uh, menopause sort of a, a couple of years before I thought and it was forced menopause because I'd had a hysterectomy so it was quite challenging mm. um I thought oh, well I think I'd better lead on that because I can't see anybody else walking no one's putting their hand up <laughs> no absolutely so I kind of really fell into it and then on world menopause day I decided we were going to launch our uh, policy and I laugh about it now when I'm talking to um, other employers because I thought well this is it we've got a policy job done we've done a great <laughs> thing and in hindsight now you know when I when I give talks etc I say that all that was was the catalyst that opened up the conversation mm. to change the culture of the organization so it was a good thing but it was the longer burn aspect of it that it was the was the good thing not necessarily launching the policy so I fell into it quite accidentally um if I'm honest and I look back now and I think it's changed you know the course of my life the direction of my career everything it could if somebody had said to me this is what you will be doing by the end you know sort of mid 2023 I would never have, have believed it because the kind of the second part of that was that I started lobbying government about menopause policy in the workplace so at um adeco where where i work we have we work with um a pr a political pr company and they said you know you need to start talking to government about a menopause policy and i thought you're right i do um so um i contacted various mps and i invited carolyn harris to come to one of our round table events that we were doing kind of still in covid so it was all virtual mm -hmm. we had a round table we had an audience of sort of 300 of our, our 
client base. And um, at the end of it, I just said, if anybody would like me to help them to write their policy, just give me a shout. And it was literally a throwaway line. I hadn't planned on saying that. And for the rest of 2022, that's what I did, helped clients to create their policy. And then I was talking about how you embed a policy, how you you know really bring it to life and the management training and the cultural aspect. And that's just the direction that it's taken me in. So it's kind of the best job in the world that I never knew that I wanted. So yeah, it's, it's been incredible. And, and yeah, the conversation around menopause has changed seismically really in the last sort of two three years even absolutely no absolutely it has I mean even last week I um, every week every Sunday I think I wonder what's going to happen this week that's never going to happen to me before and absolutely (laughs) something tops what happened the previous week um but also you know the the incremental change that we see that sometimes we think oh god this is really hard and there's so much to do and we've got so much further to go but then when we look at some of the small things that happened I mean only last week ago and I've talked about this a few times this week because I think it's really uh, and I mentioned it at the event we were at together somebody talked to me in a meeting an internal meeting and he asked me about my perimenopause experience and I just thought that would even a year ago and Mm. I know it's a little bit different because I've been very you know open about my experience in the press etc but for somebody to say in the first meeting you've ever had with them to ask them about your perimenopause because it's relevant to him and and his wife's experience I just think that's such a a step change that we've had in in a relatively short time yeah and so you were appointed as as the menopause employment champion in I think March of this year, and you're you're I mean essentially it's it's you could argue it it could be a full time <laughs> role in and of itself. Um, so how does that work? How are you kind of balancing that with with your your work at Adeco? You are you sort of essentially pulling a double shift? <laughs> um, some days, if if I'm honest, um, you know, I, I I am working a, a long day. However, um, I am very very lucky that I've worked with the group. I haven't worked with Adeco for my whole career, but a lot of my um, colleagues have been in the industry, and we've known each other a very very long time. Um, and I do have a very strong team. Um, around me, very experienced, uh, both within recruitment, within ADECO and within L&D. So um, I've got a lot of opportunity to do what I'm doing, which is phenomenal. I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I do balance, I have to balance my time. and But almost now, I couldn't really do one without the other because it's just, you know, I'm constantly internally talking about Edie and I, um, menopause, women's health, etc. But then I'm talking about it with clients externally as well. So it, it really just is part and parcel of my daily conversation. And I guess I'm, I'm lucky that I have I don't know if it's a skill or an ability, but I can switch from one thing to another. So I like change. I like variety. So having a full diary and covering just such a multitude of topics in a in one day, that's what inspires me and drives me. And I also think that I, I feel like I'm 
extremely privileged to be able to be a platform for women who either can't speak up for themselves because they don't have the confidence, Mm. they don't have the platform and they are facing these challenges on a daily basis in roles that probably don't allow them to have that that voice. So, you know, um, I always, when I think back to my experience of perimenopause um one of my key symptoms as i've mentioned before was um really really heavy periods that affects 44% of women going through men- perimenopause and i had flexibility in my diary i was in a role where i could pick and choose went long before covid when mm-hmm. i went to the office i could uh, i was a sales director i could plan my own time but i really i'm doing this for women who have to show up every day and don't have the choice so uh, my best friend is a nurse in um, accident and emergency she's got no choice but to be there every day um, through covid head to toe in ppe that's mm. not a great situation i've got a friend who is a classroom assistant she's no choice but to show up and those people who work on the front line work in the emergency services um work in a, a caregiving role work in a, the retail sector where they have no choice but to be there and the impact that perimenopause and menopause has on them yeah i think it's easy to um to forget isn't it that kind of spectrum of you know it, it it's great and we'll kind of come back and and talk about um you know maybe some of the the ways that workplaces can be more supportive but obviously not all workplaces and not all roles are created equal and so there will be a, a limit sometimes to to what Absolutely. employers can do um what are some of the changes that you would like to see happen ideally over the next sort of two to three years to to sort of that companies can be doing to support uh their employees better i think the the biggest thing is the the cultural change and the the open conversation and um i suppose there's there's three things so the the cultural conversation is uh, i think that's a powerful one because actually when I'm delivering um, workshops to either clients or internally in the business, um, what that means is um, the the way that I'm talking to them about empathetic conversation and, uh, you know, safe space conversation, that can be applied to any topic. We encourage through our EDI strategies that people can bring their whole self to work. So whatever that looks like for them, whatever that means that they need to be able to empower to have those conversations we have to make sure that line managers and other supporting people in organizations have the ability and capability to take receipt of that those conversations so that empathetic listening that support is brilliant with regard to menopause but it applies to any topic as well so that education piece and cultural piece and the way the way we tackled menopause in our organisation became the blueprint for how we opened up the conversation about pretty much any topic that you want to overlay. So that has opened up opportunity. We, we kicked it off with menopause, but now we have network groups for topics such as domestic abuse, uh, pregnancy loss, men's mental health. We have um, we talk about period management in the workplace, um, all, all topics that are quite challenging for people. We, we mm. start it all off with lived experience, education, 
and support. So that that cultural piece, that's what I would like to see. Um, the other aspect of it is um, the sharing of best practice. So I was delighted, obviously, to meet you really briefly at the launch of the British Standards Institute um, menstrual health, menstruation and menopause in the workplace standard um, for a couple of reasons. The fact that it's really broad and it talks about menstrual health and menstruation I think is really important because that opens up the conversation across um, the um, demographics in the workplace. Mm, So we have got um, five generations in our workplace and as have many organisations but the average age of um, a girl starting her periods is reducing all the time so it's at 10 now when I started mine it was at 13 so you've only got a certain number of cycles so that means the average age of perimenopause will start to come down and menopause so you're broadening out that conversation by including you know period management periods in the workplace um maternity um endometriosis, uh, polycystic ovary, all those different broad women's health conversation is opening it up to different people so it's more inclusive. So I think that's a real step forward. The other aspect of that obviously is it's a free standard. So any Mm. employer can download it and start to make changes in their organisation around those topics so that that's a great thing yeah and it's incredibly comprehensive and I'll actually I'll make sure that I put links in in the show notes like if somebody wanted to start a conversation around this in their own workplace they that you know that perhaps is one of the most impactful things they could do is to share that that resource with somebody uh in their organization and kind of get you know just have them read it think about the the sort of the parts of that that they could implement in their own workplace i totally agree and that brings me to the third aspect of what i'd like to see so it's the cultural shift around conversation that i'd like to see the broadening of the conversation around women's health to make it more inclusive across the generations in the Mm. workplace and the third thing is about that sharing of best practice and free resource so part of my strategy in in the role is to uh, provide um, a portal for employers to share that best practice so I'm I'm focused on five sectors which are um, adult social care retail hospitality manufacturing and professional and technical and looking at those sectors top down bottom up because a lot of those sectors have multiple sectors within mm. them um so some really large organizations can actually cover three or four sectors because of the nature of what they do um but looking at those sectors um because the challenges in one sector can be very different from the challenges in another sure. but i want to look at them so that as an example in hospitality if you work in a large organization that's really forward thinking has a brilliant edni strategy has a menopause policy has um you know um shares best practice does really good things for their em- employers why should you not have access to that if you work for if you choose to work for a small hotel on the south coast and it may be that you don't get access to that because you haven't got an hr department you haven't got anybody to talk to so that sharing a free resource 
is really important. And that will be housed on a portal that government are making available to me to be able to do that, which is brilliant. The second aspect of that, again, it's completely free of charge to any employer, but a lot of large organisations have allyship programmes. They have menopause champions. They have menomates and things Mm -hmm. like that. But again, small organisations, 99% of organisations in the UK are SMEs. Uh, Three-fifths of the workforce Mm -hmm. work for an SME. So if you don't have access to the... They just won't have the same resources, the time to invest in those big programmes. And a national allyship program. So as an example, if I work, you know, in a small independent retailer and my manager is um, a, a, a male and I don't feel I can approach him, I have nobody to talk to, I feel isolated, I can be linked up with somebody in a large retail organisation. A lot of employers do it internally. This is just taking it externally. Oh, that's amazing. And people up. So that sharing of care support understanding and resource that's free of charge regardless of your hr budget regardless of the size of your business um that's the second aspect that we will be linking up with there's two others and is there a sort of a rough time scale as to when some of that will start to become available yeah absolutely so i have to produce a report um after my first six months on my findings who's doing the good stuff um how they can share it etc and that has been absolutely phenomenal to be able to i've probably spoken to more people in the last six months that I've spoken to about in my entire career all sandwiched into that six months um but it's been amazing to see what employers are doing so we'll produce that report then we're starting a series of roundtable events in September um which will share that best practice and lead to it being put on the portal um later this year Great. That all sounds amazing. What sort of pain points are you hearing from from the companies that you're speaking to? And like you say, you're talking to sort of small and large companies, but what what are they kind of coming up against? I think in the, I'll take that in two parts. So I think in the smaller organisations, the SMEs, it comes back to that. And I've had a lot of experience with talking to individuals where they've said, I don't know how to approach my manager. There's only three of us. Mm. I don't really want him to know. I feel really uncomfortable. What what can I do? So I hear a lot of that, or I think I'm going to have to leave because I'm nobody to talk to. Um, And then in the larger organisations, it is, you know, a little bit, there are 4.4 million women have left work due to menopause. And that is really, a lot of those women are um, in the, in professional roles. I mean, it is literally just a perfect storm, isn't it? That the average age of a woman going into Perimenopause is 41, menopause is 51. The average age of a woman going into a C-suite role in a FTSE 500 is 51. So, you know, we talk about the sandwich generation, we talk about career aspiration, we talk about women having um, children later in life facing the glass ceiling. This is the second glass ceiling. And all of those headwinds coming together, um, no wonder women are feeling, you know, challenged in those senior roles. But also, it's the the experiences. I, I, I tie it back to what I talked about when I was perimenopausal and I could manage my own diary. And so the practical aspects, the physical aspects of it, were actually, whilst debilitating and not very pleasant, were manageable. It's the 
it's the loss of confidence, the brain fog, of which that was just a fantastic example, just saying, <laughs> um, the loss of confidence, the brain fog, you know, the not sleeping, the impact of that, the anxiety. Mm. That's why women in more senior roles are leaving the workplace. It's hidden away. It's not as well understood. Yeah, exactly. And that's harder to articulate, but mm. it's also harder for the employer to do anything about because you know we talk about reasonable adjustments and my nervousness around reasonable adjustments is is twofold that actually for something like loss of confidence it's a very internal internalized thing isn't it there Mm. isn't you can't really say to an employer so what reasonable adjustment are you going to provide for me because this is what I'm I'm facing so that comes back to that cultural piece that understanding that support and that being able to say I hear you I understand um and you know let's try and work together to make sure you feel you know, that you can carry on in your, your career without actually being able to provide anything tangible and physical. Uh, and the other part of it is that very often when, uh, and this isn't just a, a gender thing, but uh, um, very often when uh, men are faced with a problem, they want to immediately go to a practical solution yeah. because that helps, us, in their mind, helps the situation. There's been a lot of research into men's mental health and the, the talking aspect of it, doesn't help it's the practical solution so overlay that into this scenario and they often it can be that uh, immediately want to go into solution mode and make it better and that's brilliant but actually in doing that it can often make the situation worse so I'll, I'll give you an example that when I was perimenopausal I worked for a different organization I had an office that was all glass so you can imagine in the summer it was like a greenhouse anyway I was also having um hot hot flushes at that time and so after I mentioned it casually to my line manager who was a man it was a predominantly male organization and one day I came one morning I came in and he got me a fan on a stand but he put a sticker on the fan that said Helen's fan do not move which was great because now I have my own fan (laughs) however everybody was coming in every time somebody came in they were like why have you got a fan and I haven't got a fan I'm hot as well so how come you've got a fan so I kept having to repeat the fact that I was perimenopausal and I was struggling with hot flushes so and that was fine but had I not it was fine for you, but for somebody else, it might have been have absolutely them over the edge. destroyed somebody's confidence, totally. Mm. And then to add to that, every time I went to a meeting, I had to take my fan with me. <laughs> Look at it. Like an IV drip, <laughs> rolling it down the corridor. Exactly. It was like when you see people standing outside a hospital having a cigarette with an IV dripping. That's what I felt like, like. Might as well have a big sign over your head exactly saying, carry or women so, approaching. So my my point was that if I'd been a different person, that could have really destroyed my my confidence and, you know, made me feel really embarrassed in front of people, etc. So don't assume that you know what the reasonable adjustment is without having the conversation. That, That is a really key thing for me that, you know, women feel that they are not being they are, they might be being supported but not necessarily in the mm. right way it's so individual isn't it, it, it it's about is. going to that person as an individual finding out what's happening yeah. for them finding out what you know asking them what, what how they would best like to be supported I think this I mean there is still taboo attached to disclosing you know menopause symptoms in the workplace 
And I think especially those in sort of senior leadership positions fear it will make them look vulnerable, less capable, uh, you know, that they will be essentially be treated differently if they talk openly about that. How do we change that narrative? How do we get to a point where, you know, if, if not everyone wants to talk about this, let's be fair, but if somebody wants to talk about this in the workplace, that they're not going to come up against discrimination, uh, against bias. How do we get there? It's going to take a while. (laughs) It is going to take a while, but I think the more we normalise it, and my hope is, when you may ask me this at the end, but I'll tell you now what my hope is for the future, that we are not having conversations like this because it is such a normal part of a, a woman or person's life that it just becomes part and parcel of women's health in the workplace and we don't need to be having these detailed conversations about how to support because it is just... Mm. We, we just know how to support and what to do for the best. But we're not there yet. We absolutely aren't. And you're right, there is still people who don't want to talk about it. But there's a piece around leadership and leadership supporting those conversations. We launched our menopause policy with podcasts by senior leaders in our organisation who were willing to talk mm. about their experiences. So top down support. Absolutely, to open up the conversation for other people. Um, and that really, hand on heart, was probably the best thing that we did. I talked about my experiences, which, as you would imagine, were very different from my, the, the other colleague and, and mm. the other colleague that talked about it. So we could show that it was a real variety and a very personal experience. So that top-down leadership is really important. I think that vulnerable leadership as well, to be able to say, I'm really struggling. You know, I had a conversation with my line manager yesterday and she said I'm not coming into the office today because I didn't sleep and I I just can't face it so I'm going to work from home but to be able to be Mm. that open and honest so modeling that to other people within the organization absolutely in an organization and I think the third thing is, is allyship and men can be such brilliant agents for for change and getting that allyship from our um male colleagues is is actually it's important and it's relatively I'm seeing more and more of my colleagues walking towards it and you know I did um, awareness sessions back in 2021 when we launched our policy um allyship programs and on one of them it was I did a a men only one because sometimes that works because it's a safe space it allows them to ask questions and I had two men dial in and one of them had dialed into the wrong call but was too embarrassed to (laughs) dial off Uh, but now I've got both internally externally commercially but also with government departments as well asking me to do those sessions and getting you know the uptake is far far greater than it was in October 2021 for sure. That's great and actually that leads me nicely on to another question so uh, if there are male colleagues in an organisation who you know they really want to step up and and be a, a, a good ally but perhaps they're you know this kind of got to get past that sort of discomfort factor uh, what what are the things that they can do to kind of put themselves in a a good place to have conversations to feel more confident and, and also to you know to to make 
other people within the organization feel comfortable coming to talk to them about it I know that's part of the bigger sort of culture change but Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think it is providing that safe space to ask the questions you know when when we do those sessions I will say to them um the groups that attend you know you can ask me anything Mm -hmm. there is nothing I've been really honest about my experiences in you know in public and there is nothing that you can say that will embarrass me and a lot of the time they'll never see me again so it's a great opportunity and I've I've had men openly say on these calls I just don't want to say the wrong thing we are fundamentally scared of saying causing offense upsetting mm. somebody and it comes from a genuinely good place but if you don't ask the question you'll never know the answer so I think that's really that education piece is really important and then how to have that conversation you know we're in a busy working environment take the time to make it an easy experience for this for the person who feels that they have to share with you they feel you know empowered to share with you and that it's it's a big step you know we use the symptom checker or the the balance app as a really good tool to sort of use it as a a prompt to start a conversation Mm, whether that's a manager you know a gp or a partner to be able to say this is how I feel and you know to really start that conversation but as a line manager it's absolutely incumbent on you to just have that take the time put the time aside find somewhere quiet don't be rushed and don't be trying to prompt the conversation it you know it can take a while and then once somebody gets talking often it all comes out how they're feeling if they feel they're in a safe space so how you frame that conversation you know don't do it near the coffee machine is a difficult enough situation for somebody so to have that empathetic listening um is really important so that again that comes from education mm-hmm. Yeah, we ran a session earlier this week, actually, which was a sort of an Ask a GP session and, and one of the male colleagues turned up and, and, you know, very respectfully asked the rest of the group at the beginning if it was OK that they were there and then, you know, went on to, to ask some really good questions. So yeah. definitely, definitely things are changing. And I'm seeing now that it's more intergenerational as well, for, mm. for sure. You know, we I did one not that long, a couple of weeks ago, um, and we had... Um, you know colleagues on there because they wanted to support their mum um I did one yesterday who um just from talking about you know the different um cultures etc and this girl on the call who actually worked in um Adeco said my mum doesn't English is not her first language she hardly speaks any mm. English and culturally we don't talk about these sort of things so she is experiencing symptoms that she can't relate to anything she doesn't know why she feels like she does Mm. she's just she just knows that she's at an age when her periods are probably going to stop very shortly she but for me to be able to take this information and sit down with her and speak to her in her own language about this she said it is so powerful to be able to do that and to be able to educate her so she doesn't feel like she's just becoming you know a a different person and she you know all the different she didn't go into the symptoms but you know Mm -hmm. she said to be able to say to her this is totally normal this is perimenopause and so she said it was such an amazing opportunity so we're getting much more a 
intersectionality and richness of conversation, but we're also getting different generations being able to want to support, um, you know, people in their lives, which mm. is fantastic. Well, and it's so important that that you know we do learn about what might be happening before it starts happening yeah. so that we can actually join the dots when yeah. we get there and uh, as well as sort of supporting other people within, within our lives and and that whole sort of um, access to support as well from a sort of socioeconomic perspective you know we know that there's huge variation there so again kind of having that support in the workplace it is so much more important because what well, a we're spending so much of our time there anyway but also yeah if we're not getting necessarily getting the support uh outside then then if we can get it in the workplace then maybe that's one absolutely sort of route in Helen thank you so much that's maybe a good place to sort of start start coming to a close but with the menopause employment champion role is that is that sort of for a set amount of time it is yeah it's for 18 months okay um so yeah um and I think uh that's a good amount of time to be able to um do obviously the, the research and look at what I'm really clear on what I want to achieve in that period of time um so yeah it's just about launching it embedding it and making sure the other two aspects of the strategy are obviously a communication plan so that um, employers know what is available for them, which is, is really important. Um, but the, the other aspect of it is there are 630,000 women who are cu- currently between 45 and 55 claiming universal credit. Mm. Now, all of them will be either perimenopausal or menopause or a large swathe of them. Um, so I don't want menopause to be a barrier to them coming back into the workplace very hard to be out of work for any period of time whether it's voluntary or uh, because of redundancy Mm. etc so um, making sure that that isn't an additional barrier is really important there's two ways that we're looking at that and that is the um there's a program called 50 plus um that dwp are running at the moment to help people 50 plus get back Mm. into the workplace and making sure that all those coaches um, have got a really good understanding of menopause and how they can support their clients in job center um, with um, you know information etc to break down those barriers and support them back into work but also it's really important that employers um, are menopause friendly because if I was out of work and I was looking for a role and I was going through perimenopause I would naturally be want to look for an employer who was supportive so looking at the menopause pledge and get in helping employers to sign up to that pledge as well to make it easier for people who are out of work uh, to come back into the workplace because I fully believe that this isn't um this period of time in a woman's life is not a time when they need to um, step down, step back or step out of the workplace. Um, this will happen to 51% of the population. And if we can support them and manage it for the, you know, for the 25% who have really severe symptoms and the 50% that have some symptoms, if we can make that the best experience it can be through education, support, allyship um that will allow a woman to go on and have arguably the best 10 15 20 years of a career after that couldn't agree more we're just getting started (laughs) absolutely we are
Oh, Helen, thank you so much. It was lovely to unpack all of that with you. And I, I look forward to, to seeing the fruits of uh, all of your labor uh, coming to the, the fore over the next year, year and a half. And yeah, thank you for, for your time. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Emma. Thank you. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.